Shout to God with cries of joy. How awesome is the Lord Most High, the great King over all the earth. He subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. God has ascended amid shouts of joy, the Lord amid the sounding of trumpets. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham. For the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We remain seated for our second reading, which is from Acts chapter 1, and it's verses 1 through 11. That's page 1102 in the Church Bibles. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. You Galileans, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so as we continue with this Ascension theme, we're going to sing together. And it's number 26 in the hymn books. Alleluia, sing to Jesus. Here's the scepter, here's the throne. Alleluia, here's the triumph. Here's the victory alone. And in verse 2, it picks up the theme, the theme of the ascension. So let's stand as we sing together.
so, Lord, we pray that uh, as we reflect on your word together now, we might be very aware of the fact that you're with us and that you'll be with us evermore. Amen. And so the day of Ascension marked a real uh, watershed for the disciples. They'd had this roller coaster journey of life with Jesus physically alongside them. And that particular phase of their lives was ending, and uncertain times lay ahead. Those three years, of course, with him had been completely life changing for them. They'd been, in turn, both disturbing and wonderful and action packed and eye opening full of unexpected twists and turns. No more so than when the dead Jesus had come back to life. And his ascension would leave a massive void in their lives. And there was one big temptation for them. That temptation would be to just hark back to the past, to live on all the former glories. How easy it would have been for uh, Philip to dine out on his role in the feeding of the 5,000 when he presented Jesus with that little boy's packed lunch. Or Peter, James and John to spend all their time reminiscing about that time they were on the mountain with Jesus and Moses and Elijah appeared, the Mount of Transfiguration. Or Thomas to keep harking back to the time when the risen Jesus had appeased his doubts by showing him his nail marks in his hands and in his feet. With Jesus gone, how easy it would be for them to fall into the trap of thinking things will never be the same. Things were so much better in the old days. Um, did anyone watch, anyone watch the snooker over the last couple of weeks? We've got any snooker fans in here? Yeah, there's a few. Uh, there's a few. Yeah. Didn't go on too late, I'm pleased to say, on Sunday night. It's enthralling if you love that sort of thing, which I happen to. Now, every year, um, the BBC, during the snooker, especially during finals weekend, um, every year the BBC wheel out some footage of a very famous snooker match. Now, that match took place on the 28th of April, 1985. Does anyone know who it was between? The snooker buffs, this one this question is for. Steve Davis and Dennis Taylor. Steve Davis and Dennis Taylor. Now, it is uh, widely recognised as the greatest snooker match ever. And um, you have to bear with me if you're not remotely interested in snooker. Uh, but the BBC wheel out this footage of this match where um, Steve Davis, who was, you know, he'd won the World Championship at least a couple of times by, by then, he went into an 8-0 lead, so he won eight games of snooker, and uh, it was the first to 18, so everyone thought after that first session, Steve Davis is going to walk away with the title. But Dennis Taylor, who was a sort of middle-aged Irishman, somehow came back and drew level at 17 all. And at 12-18 in the morning... 12, 18 in the morning, there were 18 and a half million of us watching this match. A game of snooker. 18 and a half million. And it got to um, the final ball, the final black. So they played 34 and three quarters games of snooker. And then there was this one ball, one black ball left on the table they needed to pop. 
And Steve Davis had a fairly easy chance. And he missed it. And he went, oh. And so Dennis Taylor came to the table with his legs all over the place. And he played this shot. And he managed to pop the black. And then he had the cue above his head going like this. And he's wagging his finger like this. And he kissed the trophy. And it was all very dramatic at 12.18 in the morning. Now, I, I remember that in part because it was the weekend after my 18th birthday. And so after church, um, I was in Nailsy at the time, so I'd been to a church service, whole load of us. And um, we went back to my place and we um, had something to eat and something to drink. And we all watched the snooker. Um, and everyone stayed until 12.18 in the morning to watch this, this, this game. Yeah, exciting stuff. I've even got the DVD at home, if anyone wants to borrow it. <laughs> it is sad, yeah, I thought you'd say that. Now, the BBC wheel out that footage every single year, and I notice they played a little bit of it this time as well, and they always have Steve Davis and Dennis Taylor in the commentary box, and Steve, Steve Davis looks still, still living with regret for missing that uh, black ball. Um, but they can't... They can't live in... The BBC couldn't live in the past. Their, their coverage of snooker and of sport generally is far superior to what it was in 1985. Dennis Taylor couldn't live in the past. Yes, he could celebrate that great game in 1985 and the fact that he was world champion, but he couldn't just... He can't just live on that. He's got to live in the present. He's got to move on from that. Keep hold of the fact that he's won it, yes, but move on. Steve Davis couldn't just live in that place of despair. He needed to move on. Because there was more in store in his life. I, I loved my late teenage years. A fantastic group of friends. Um, lots of freedom. Uh, played and watched lots of sports. Really grew in my faith. I had lots of fantastic holidays, lots of good things about um, that particular time of life. But I can't live back in that era. I'm not 18 anymore. Each of us may have a, a golden period of our lives, a particular time when you know, everything seemed to be you know, coming together in a, in a quite amazing way. And there's a danger that we look back on that time with real rose-tinted spectacles. And there's nothing wrong with remembering good times. That's part of God's gift to us, memories. But actually God calls us to live in the present. The hymn writer um, Joseph Hart died 250 years ago this month. And his most famous hymn was, How Good Is the God We Adore. It's quite a short hymn, two very simple verses. And uh, the second verse goes like this. For Christ is the first and the last. His spirit will guide us safe home. We'll praise him for all that is past and trust him for all that's to come. We'll praise him for all that is past and trust him for all that's to come. That's so important. So we're not dwelling living in the past. <coughs> but we can celebrate the good things of the past as we look forward, as we live in the present and look forward to all that God has in store. Now, for the disciples, the ascension was one of the transition points in their lives and things would be different and there'd be a time of adjustment to their new context without Jesus physically alongside them. And for them, it was important that they could say, 
We'll praise him for all that is past and trust him for all that's to come. They could trust him with the promise ringing in their ears. Jesus' very last recorded words to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We go through times of transition. It might be a transition from uh, teenage years to adulthood. It may be different stages of parenting. It might be from working life to retirement. It may be an experience of bereavement. It may be a, a house move. There can be so many different things that act as transition points in our lives. Times of upheaval, times of massive adjustment. But rather than harking back to the past... God calls us to trust him for all that's to come, knowing that the same Holy Spirit promised to the disciples is promised to us, is with us. There was a survey uh, published last year which highlighted the tendency to think that life was better in the past. And half of adults over the age of 50 um, agreed that life in the past was preferable to today compared to just 19% who think that the present day is best, presumably the other 30% weren't too bothered. Seven in ten people in this survey thought that the past was better as there was not so much traffic on the roads. While 68% said, things used to be built to last. <laughs> Maybe they're right in some ways, but harking back is not the answer. And there's much to celebrate on the progress we've made in society over recent generations. It's an interesting one, this, as we think about um, church life and and something we need to be wary of as we prepare to go back into the main church building in the autumn. I know, you know, for some some of us here, we find change quite difficult and challenging. It can be unsettling. It can feel quite discombobulated. I was determined to get that word in there somewhere. (laughs) But when we go back, there will be uh, no pews, in the lower level at least. Other parts of the church will have been reconfigured in different ways. And the place where many of you have been nurtured and, and have grown in your faith will not be the same. And it's quite possible that you might experience a sort of bereavement. Because things are different. And there'll be a temptation to hark back to the past and think things were so much better in the old days. Well, there was a wise man who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes 3,000 years ago and he said this, Do not say, why were things so much better in the old days? It's not an intelligent question. So it means we then face the challenge of dealing with the very real feelings that some might feel. And the important thing is that within that we can trust God and come back to God and trust his provision for the future. Asking him to give us a new forward-thinking perspective. And so rather than being apprehensive about the future in times of change, as I'm sure the disciples were, we step forward with faith, trusting in God to lead us and use us. To use us as we are, not as we once were. For the disciples, what came after Jesus' ascension was just as action-packed as what came before. 
It had its challenges, but God used that group of disciples in ways they could never have imagined. Another great hymn writer, Tim, Timothy Dudley Smith, who's now in his 90s, he put it like this, Past put behind us, for the future take us, Lord of our lives, to live for Christ alone. I'm eternally grateful that the disciples didn't fall into the trap of dwelling in the past, but they trusted God for the next phase of their lives. And there'll be plenty of others to come after us in this community and beyond who will be very grateful if we did the same. Amen.